last Monday, late morning, I went out in the backyard to do a little bussing behind my dogs. <laughs> and I was talking on the telephone on a hands-free set with a friend of mine. And as I walked around with the shovel, I was looking down at the ground and saw a shadow fly by. And instinctively, I looked up to see what it was. There, not far at all above my head, I caught sight of a hawk that was circling. And for me, this was a very cool thing because, as many of you already know, I'm quite fond of hawks. I talk about them a lot, it seems. Um, But always, I check the coloring immediately to make sure that I'm not wasting my, my focus on buzzards. My habit is to dismiss buzzards rather quickly, although, you know, they serve an incredibly important purpose. I guess I just don't care for people that hang out with rancid dead things, you know. uh, Did I say people? I don't even know any uh, morticians, so I hope this is not foreshadowing. So I checked the coloring and saw that this bird had a variegated but but still white chest. And so I knew it wasn't a buzzard. And I was watching its flight and telling my friend about it. And then I noticed that not concentrically but tangentially, there was another hawk flying. Not exactly, you know, like this, but but kind of free patterns, somewhat circular, changing in height, elevation. But these two hawks were flying kind of in concert, and I had not seen that before. Then I noticed a third hawk. I mean, I've seen I've seen pairs of hawks. Like one will sit and watch while the other hunts. I guess they make couples, but I had not seen them flying together. Then I saw a third hawk. Then I saw a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth. But that went as far as my field of vision would go, given the tree lines and the rooftops. All of these hawks were working together. And I thought, that's not something hawks do. Well, for 15 or 20 minutes, I watched them just kind of in amazement. And then I couldn't stand it anymore, so I went inside to the computer. You know, what is, is this supposed to be happening? Well, what I found there on my very shallow, admittedly, research was that there's only one predator bird of prey that hunts in a group and it's called a Harris's hawk and it doesn't live here and it has a brown chest now uh, vagabond Harris's hawks have been seen as far as just west of Vicksburg but not not communities and they don't live here they live in high desert 
which may be an indication of how things are happening here. But this was not Harris's Hawks. And what I felt like I was watching was an adaptive strategy by a species that was not accustomed to working together. That's more used to having its territory and, and making sure that its territory is safe so that it can survive a range that will feed it and maybe its partner and whatever family they come up with. But this was new behavior. Now, I can't say absolutely that other hawks don't hunt in groups, but what I found on the Internet was that hawks, eagles, birds of prey are lone hunters, and this was a group of at least eight. Now, that, w- that felt really important to me. And I thought about unlikely partnerships. I thought about, because Bible stories come into my head, I thought about the Good Samaritan, the story in, in Luke, the book of Luke in the Christian Testament, about a Jew that had been robbed and beaten and left for dead. The priests and the other officials of the church had seen this man laying there. Does it say it's a man? I guess it probably does. But I was trying to broaden the the possibilities, you know, make it more derelict for them to walk away. Um, But they, they walked on the other side of the road not to help this person. And it was someone who was from another country, a group of people that were despised by the Jews, and it was mutual, as from, um, from what I understand. But this man, a Samaritan, went out of his way to help this person. Now, was this a good survival strategy? It could have been. If you're traveling in a land where um, you're not particularly cared for, I don't think, I mean, that's not the way that we've been told the story. That's not what we're told is the reason that the Samaritan helped the Jew. We were just taught that this was a good person with a conscience and a good heart and a sense of, of brotherly love or, or um, universal love. But then I also thought of other stories in, in the Hebrew Testament, like Pharaoh, one of the pharaohs leaning on Joseph, who was a Jew, to interpret his dreams. And I thought of the story of Moses being in a basket in the bulrushes and the pharaoh's daughter saving him and, ra- and them raising him in their household. Just, just unlikely things. And I had found the, the stuff on the Internet about the unlikely partnerships between animals in, the, uh, in nature. And how there were all sorts... Oh, Schindler. And Amon Gert. And... and uh, uh, now I'm not going to remember his name. Who was the Jew that helped Schindler with the list? 
But their alliance saved thousands of lives. And it was an unlikely coming together of people. Now, we have a tendency to cluster with people that feel safe to us. Maybe that have something in common with us, whether it's our church, whether it's uh, a hobby or an interest. But what we're watching is something that seems like petrification of those delineations in the world around us. And it's not a good survival strategy, is it? The systems may have to totally crumble before we learn that, before we see the necessity, before we actually can reach beyond our own biases and prejudices to build community and solutions with those beyond us. But I keep wondering if humankind is capable of that sort of flexibility. It seems through history we've moved from smaller groups into larger ones, um, or tried to, and that still we seem to gravitate towards a certain number of people, and we get uncomfortable when our group gets beyond that. We cluster in, in cities and urban areas, and because of the, the tension there, a lot of things go on that are not productive for the broader good. But can we adapt? In our principles, we're asked to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. How do we go about making workable alliances with people who would ordinarily be on the opposite side of an issue? It's not by arguing, discussing if we can, but, but arguing generally both sides, in, in some forms of argument, which start with people having well-formed ideas that they're very attached to, and then barking at each other rather than discussing things. Um, demonstrations. People hollering at each other. Does anyone on the other side ever get changed? Like John Mayer's song, um, Belief. Has anyone ever really changed their mind or their position from what was written on a sign? Is adaptation natural? Is it fabricated? Or is it something that we can develop? Are we rational enough to go beyond some of our instincts 
and build a broader community that is so highly functioning that it can grow. That understands inclusion and acceptance that isn't just tolerance. That understands love and the unique contribution that every person has to make. My friend Cookie Garner and I have uh, written a song that, that I've sung for the choir somewhere at, when we perform. And some of the lines in it are, uh, Only humans make living hard. Why is it, why is it we think we're smart? It's all enough to make Einstein's hair flat. <laughs> Going on detours avoids the fact that we complicate the daylights out of everything that crosses our path, poke and prod and roll around in it till metaphorically we need a bath. Whoa, wretched souls that we are, at least we've survived the Rube Goldberg so far. Um, Some of our instincts we may have outgrown or outlived, not outgrown, outlived. And I want to challenge us to question our reactions a little bit. We pride ourselves on our inclusion and open-mindedness, but do we honestly have the capacity to somehow reach out and reconcile with things that may not want to be that flexible with us. There's an old poem by Edwin Markham that when I was in high school I did in old English lettering for my father to put in his office. And I'm sure many of you have heard it many times. But it's called uh, Outwitted. And it goes, he drew a circle to shut me out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had a will to win. We drew a circle that took him in. How does one actually do that? I think... It absolutely has to be intentional. And I don't think being Unitarian Universalist is easy. I think we're called to challenge our limits and to reach farther. Because I love you so much. Because I know you to be loving people. Because our dream is so large. And because our times are so challenging. I invite you to imagine someone who would be an unlikely partner in something. 
and working with them and, and what you think it might take to develop a meaningful relationship with whoever it is that you bring to mind. If we can imagine it and envision it, we can begin to develop strategies for how to do it, can't we? Let us learn to embrace the world with the same love and understanding that we would wish the world to give us.